90% of all scientists that have ever been alive are alive today. That's a lot of information, but don't panic. It's not an exact science. Hey, Shannon, how are you? I'm tan. (laughs) Yeah, you were on vacation. I know. It was really weird. Um, Yeah, I went on vacation for a long time. We were away from our house for like 10 days, which I don't know the last time. I don't think my family has ever been together somewhere for that long. So, um, yeah, it was really weird, but enjoyable. So how many emails did you answer while you were gone? Uh, So for the first three days, I was still teaching class. (laughs) And uh, had to grade finals and turn in final grades. And so the last seven days, though, I answered five emails. (laughs) Well, that's more than usual. Oh, ouch. I'm trying to set a precedent for email culture to go away. We all know this. Right. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So it was uh, was really fun. But we went to South Padre Island, which I'd never been down there before. I'd only been to Galveston in terms of the Gulf Coast in Long, Texas, and it was amazing. I highly recommend it. There were lots of hurricane signs, and I was trying not to be excited about the prospect of a tropical storm coming into the Gulf, but it didn't happen, so. Right. (laughs) And I thought, like, how terrifying would that be? Like, South Padre Island is a barrier island which I'm sure we've talked about on here. And if we haven't, we probably will soon. (laughs) And it's so skinny. Like it doesn't, it's not moving as much as Galveston wants to move. There's no need for like beach replenishment or anything, but um, you know, it's like half a mile wide or something like that. I can't imagine being there during a hurricane. Yes. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. Just terrifying. I went stand up. It is a fun place to go though. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was a super fun place to go. We went stand-up paddleboarding. I'd never done that before. Super excited. We saw dolphins. We went on a dolphin cruise, and it was like two hours long. And we saw dolphins within the first like three seconds. And my kids both were like, what are we going to do the rest of this time? (laughs) So there are some pretty great pictures of them being bored out of their skulls. (laughs) Like, look, another dolphin. Yeah, exactly. Uh-huh. Well, we enjoyed our time on the boat. So that was uh that was pretty funny. Um yeah, it was it was really good. That's what we wanted to do is that my daughter wanted to see dolphins, so we checked that mark off. And then my son got stung by a bunch of jellyfish, so that was traumatic and painful. Yep. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. Yep. I also got stung. By who knows if they're the same jellyfish. So that part is the bad part, I guess, about South Padre. But it was interesting anyway. Did a lot of boogie There are always quite a few. Yeah. mm -hmm. There really were. There's a bunch of different kinds too, which was different than I remember from Florida. So yeah, they're evil, basically. Mm -hmm. But yeah. But I do uh, want some as pets. Oh, what? What is wrong with you? Yes, they have these really cool little jellyfish (laughs) aquariums. That's the only... Are you serious? Only aquarium I'm interested in. I've never seen this. You're kidding me. Yep, get some little moon jellyfish or something. Oh my goodness. Jellyfish aquariums. Um okay. Um I'm gonna write that down so I can look at this afterwards. <laughs> uh little ones would have been great. I don't think these ones that we got got by were very little. Um, they probably were little, but they felt like they were huge. 
Portuguese man of wars, they were very painful. <laughs> oh yeah. I don't I mean, I'm sure they were little that little would be bitty guys, but <laughs> you would be hospitalized. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. It was um yeah, it was pretty traumatic. Uh we there's, you know, there's all kinds of like, do you pee on it? You put vinegar on it. What are you supposed to do? Like people next to us had vinegar when I got stung and it's like, it helped a little bit. And then one thing I saw said, don't put cold water in, go put hot water in it. So we were right by the little condo that we rented. I like basically ran my son up there and we got in the hot tub and he actually said that helped a lot. Um, so that was an interesting the chlorine and stuff couldn't be bad either. Yeah, exactly. It probably wasn't. So that 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 helped a lot. So that was that was very interesting. It was cool because the first day we came in, it had been raining like all the week before, and it had actually been storming that day. And we got in in the evening, and you know, so we didn't go swimming or anything, but we just went down. And it's like the there was a riptide warning, and the waves were huge. And what was really cool, and what I haven't got to do on beach vacations before, because I was too little to care much. Is that, you know, we went every day to the beach and it was so cool to see how dynamic the beach environment was over those like 10 days. And that was awesome. Like as an adult geologist that doesn't get to go to the beach that much. Um, So that was probably my favorite part and inspiration for for this show, too. (laughs) I was going to say, you know, now that we're on uh, marine invertebrate talk. <laughs> mhm. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Look, there's a lot of weird stuff in the ocean, man. There there really is. Mhm. Yeah. Yeah. And the whole point of this was we obviously collect a lot of shells, right? So my daughter and then the family that we were with, they were real into, you know, finding I tasked them all with finding different colors of shells or different sizes. And then the thought became, okay, look, I've gathered all these like white and black shells and some of them are the size of, you know, a pinhead and some of them are the size of my palm. How do these things grow? Yeah, because it's not like, you know, you have a muscle that's born in a shell. <laughs> I know. And I was like, oh, why are you guys asking me this? And they're like, really? I'm like, I don't really know, right? Like... I don't know what you did this last week, but did you figure out how shells grow? Is that what you're working on? (laughs) I'm a geologist. (laughs) You have me confused. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I couldn't really answer that. So I thought maybe we'd talk a little bit about it today. It's clearly more than, you know, a two days worth of interneting to figure out (laughs) this answer. Right. And it was more complex than I thought it would be, too. So. Yeah. So uh, you had suggested this. And I was like, hmm, well, I don't really know either. And you sent me some papers. And I was like, this is actually more interesting than I anticipated. I knew it. I knew I'd get you with that one. <laughs> I'm, I'm still going to say it's a little closer to biology than I generally prefer to work. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> but uh, I thought the... Uh, cloud condensation nuclei in the form of calcite would get you, right? <laughs> it was interesting. And I, I do like aragonite. See, I don't, but we'll get into this. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, I mean, shells are CaCO3, and that's pretty much the the book, right? Super saturated right. water, shells happen, and we're done. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. 
See you next week. Uh, <laughs> I will say that I have like 15 tabs and three textbooks open right now. I just want to. <laughs> <Right. laughs> from this like one little thing like, how does this grow? Um, and Because the big joke. I mean, I always joke about not liking chemistry, which is not a joke. Um, but I also, whenever I taught this class, um, I was always like, no, give me clastics. I don't like carbonates that much. So therefore, I don't know how these guys grow. But you're exactly right. It starts with the seawater and what's in the seawater, right? So there's all kinds of different ions floating around in the water. And this is one type of mineral that, well, it's two types of minerals, I guess we're going to talk about, sort of, um, that is made from a living thing. Most minerals are inorganic, but not this. And so you've got calcium, you've got carbonate, sometimes you got some magnesium, which will come in. And these animals, these little bivalves, these oysters, the gastropods, those are snails, those are the twirly shells, um, they take those ions and they make their homes out of them. So they make their shells. But how do they grow? It's weird. Yeah, because it's not any kind of normal chemical deposition because chemical deposition of massive calcite doesn't look like shells. No, yeah, exactly. Not at all. Um, and so you said the word aragonite earlier. And I think that's where we should start is just to talk about Ocean water chemistry in general, because this is this is a whole nother show. And hopefully we can get somebody that's an expert in this to talk to us about this, because this is very interesting to me, but I do not know a lot about it. Is that yes, in... uh, Dr. Rosie Oaks, if you're listening, we're oh. coming for you. <laughs> Great. <laughs> oh, I'm so glad you know someone. Um, so the chemical composition of seawater has changed, supposedly, over geologic time. And therefore, what animals are making their shells out of changes. And when we talk about these two minerals, aragonite and calcite, that we'll talk about today. Um, so they're both CaCO3, but one is orthorhombic, and that's aragonite. And then calcite is trigonal or rhombohedral is what it is. And so the way that these get put together change and that depends on the ratio of magnesium to calcium in the seawater because those ions are roughly the same size. And so they do a lot of substitution. Right. And those substitutions, normally we ignore them <laughs> most yeah. of the time, mm -hmm. yeah, uh, unless we're really into mineralogy, mm -hmm. but yes, here they're almost the same, but not quite. So it creates an entirely different crystallographic structure. Right. And so you can actually see this pretty easily in, um, in thin section, the difference between the aragonite and calcite, because what I just said, you know, one's orthorhombic and one's rhombohedral. So the way that they grow looks a lot different. And so um, aragonite, you get when you have this high magnesium to calcium ratio. And actually, aragonite isn't stable at this pressure system. You also get formation of aragonite in lots of metamorphic rocks too. Um, but bivalves and other creatures are making aragonite shells today and have in the past. And a lot of the aragonite gets transformed over to calcite once diagenesis occurs. So once the thing dies and it gets buried and it starts to lithify into a rock, um, usually that aragonite goes away, but that calcite can grow 
be forced to grow sort of in the ghost forms of aragonite. And that's how you know that aragonite used to be the primary mineral when you're looking at it in thin section. Right. And those kind of false habits are pretty, uh, they throw you off until you know that that's a thing. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> when yes, when you're a student do. in mineralogy. Correct. <laughs> and then once you miss 20 of those ooids that used to be aragonite, you'll finally get it right. <laughs> um, personal experience. Okay. So, so yeah, so you got both of those things. And like I said, I definitely want to have this conversation about how that's changed through geologic history. But in general, this is really cool how these animals make their shells out of this stuff. So I guess um, we should talk a little bit about biology, even though I know you don't want to, because (laughs) you have to know like where this gets grown from, right? So you have to know a little bit about mollusk anatomy, because it's the spot in between all the goody and the actual shell is what you call the mantle. So not to be confused with the earth's mantle, right? But that little membrane area is where you go from squishy body part to secreting, for lack of a better word, this hard shell. Right. It's an organ Mm -hmm. that catalyzes the formation of these minerals. Right. Mm -hmm. But how does it do that? And we haven't known for a long time. And I really liked this um, paper that kind of went over like what we know and then like new stuff to know about it, which it's still, you know, 15 years old, but I thought it was really good in understanding how biomineralization takes place. Yes. And so if you want to play along at home, (laughs) uh, you're talking about the PNAS paper, right? Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So uh, growth and morphogenesis of the gastropod shell, Johnson, Fogel, and Lambert from PNAS. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, um, This one made a lot of sense to me because when you look, when we were gathering these little gastropod shells, you find teeny, teeny, tiny ones. I mean, less than a millimeter. And it looks just like this one that's like three centimeters long, right? So how do they do this? And these gastropod shells make more sense to me than bivalve shells do. And I don't know why. It just does. Um, and it basically what I didn't get or think about much is that the growth, it starts and you get this little world shell. So gastropods are like snails. I'm just going to say that I don't want paleontology hate mail, but (laughs) that's how I (laughs) think of them. And they have world shells, which is very hard for me to say. W-H-O-R-L-E-D shells. And then it grows basically from the outermost part and it just gets bigger and bigger, right? Right. Yeah. Like that makes sense. You can see or I can picture having these little bitty tiny ones. And then as they grow, you know, there's one opening. And if you're thinking about these little gastropods at the beach, very frequently you find those really tall ones. So they got like tall little conical shells. And then right around the outside of it is where 
the mantle would add more shell onto it. And then it just keeps getting bigger and bigger. So each successive opening is bigger and bigger. So essentially you're going to like preserve that tiny shell at the very top. And then it just gets bigger and bigger. Right. I mean, that's how, that's how I read this, right? That's how I read it too. And I don't know. It just, it blows my mind that to make a strong shell, these have evolved to, in an alternating way, basically, yeah. secrete a calcite and aragonite layer. And they've got these protein binders in between. And one of the reasons that they're postulating this is, well, uh, with the different crystallographic habits, the shell on the whole is stronger because if one fractures, the other probably won't. Yeah. How cool is that? So, And the protein binder is like, you know, this rebar or fiber reinforcement that we put in concrete nowadays. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly what I was thinking. There's a so there was two papers that we looked at, um, this gastropod one, and then that was that one made sense to me, and so I wanted to know more because I don't understand the bivalve one quite as much, and so both of them did talk about these alternating layers. It's like to me, it was like thinking about making carbon fiber or Kevlar or, or no fiberglass, fiberglass, you know. So you lay down a piece, and then you like smush it over with this gross glue stuff and then you can like lay down another fabric piece of fiberglass and squish it with this glue and then on and on and then together that makes a more rigid um a more rigid structure and so these animals are doing this in their shells but they're preferentially taking aragonite and then calcite and basically offsetting the crystal lattices between them. So if one is going to fracture in one direction, it probably won't fracture all the way through the shell. It'll stop when it hits that next layer. Yeah. That's crazy. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I, they said one of the significant things here is if you're thinking about evolution from a biologist standpoint, which we don't, but I know there are lots of people that do, uh, what else can you imagine that's got such an extensive record i mean we got shell records for from forever ago yeah mm -hmm. i mean and you, you can go see it currently just like you just did mm -hmm. yeah exactly that's what's so cool and so it's neat to think this is where the chemistry gets beyond me but to think about how like in today's ocean which is high magnesium they, but they can still you know choose a rat to like make a ragonite or calcite you know how did that change in the past and i know there's a lot of carbon and oxygen studies about that that would be interesting to talk about but the, the gastropod thing for me especially looking at this pnas paper um figure 6a makes a lot of sense it's this world shell it's really long and you can imagine just the tip of that being when this little gastropod was a larva and then as he got bigger and bigger, his shell got bigger and bigger, and he lives towards the the end of that larger whirl. Right. That makes total sense. But like when you look at these bivalve shells, like in this other paper that I sent to you to look at, that's where, and this is from Chemistry, um, the European Journal, <laughs> which I thought was funny. And, uh, <laughs> right, so this one is mollusk shell formation a source of new concepts for understanding biomineralization processes by Adadi et al. Yes. 
So this one was more bivalves, and this one got into some really cool, interesting things too. Um, because a lot of the shells that we brought up, you know, were these bivalves, and they look like on the inside, it looks like they have this mother of pearl stuff, which is called nacre. And I think I'd heard that, but I'd never really put that together. I don't know about you. I hadn't either. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. But I, I know like, like, you know, mother of pearl inlay on knives and stuff. Right. a big deal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's aragonite. Also didn't know that. <laughs> um, so that mother of pearl stuff called nacre is aragonite. But the bivalves do that same thing. And there's some really cool SEM images and TEM images in this paper, I thought, um, about how they actually make those shells. And this is where they figured out this weird mucusy gel thing um, is maybe how they do this. And there's like, you've got, they've got that, their mantle, right? This organ that's secreting this stuff. But it secretes in different orders and it kind of does this within this acidic gel framework using what John referred to as like rebar, but it's basically the same as spider silk, which was crazy. (laughs) Yeah. So silk hydrogel and then uh, these layers of chitin to really help strengthen it up as well. Mm -hmm. And they say there's a little bit of, uh, there's some minor components of proteins and sugars and things in here. Not sugar, sugar, like right. long, you know, cellulose is technically a sugar, right? Right. Yeah. Uh, it's a, oh, hold on. Chemistry's polysaccharide. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So these polysaccharides and uh, then it's doing, you know, you, you hinted at this nucleation earlier, but it's nucleating these crystals to start growing at certain spots and then they grow and meet each other and have to sort of mashed together in what turns out to be a pretty strong geometric structure. Yeah. I mean, isn't that weird? So it uses this, I mean, I don't want to say skeletal, but that is like, it uses this weird silk within this gel to provide those nucleation points and to tell it where to go. And then it changes and that'll be, you know, the hard carbonate layer And then it'll put, you know, this other layer down and then do that again and have these offsetting fabrics to create these really strong shells. So weird. It is. (laughs) Like. (laughs) And uh, I mean, they put some time in this, but like even, uh, you know, figure four, it really illustrates the process. Mm -hmm. Also tells you how thin this is. I mean, half a micron. Uh, yes. gel layer. I mean, you, your average human hair is about 20 micron. Mm-hmm. So 40 is the width of a hair. Yeah. And so uh, that's but these the, figures took a long time to put together, even though they're simple. It's a, I know it's this great box figure, right? Oh, it's beautiful. Mm-hmm. And then those, those layers are around, what do they say? 30 nanometers of the actual carbonate that it's making. Yeah. It was something like that, or maybe mm-hmm. it was, yeah, nanometer scale. Yeah. This is real like nanomaterials. Right. So like that's why, and they, it was neat because this paper like went through like, what do we know about this? And then sort of did some modeling where they wound up doing some 
because to get something into an SEM to look at it, it's really hard to do like biological stuff. And so anything that's wet, I mean, even getting a shale in, you'll have a lot of image drift and everything because the shale is outgassing. And so trying to get like a shell, not a shale, <laughs> a shell in and see this kind of stuff was really hard, but they did some really cool um, sort of like low vacuum wet TEM techniques to get pictures of this stuff growing. I thought that was really cool too. Yeah. You know, there's so-called environmental SEM, ESEM now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That it's not really environmental, but yeah, it's, it's a lot better <laughs> because before you had <laughs> right. to have high vacuum and anything that was off gassing could mess with the detectors and it, it was always a nightmare. Mm-hmm. Right. Exactly. So it's really hard to, and especially at, to visualize this stuff, especially at this size to try to get that to work. So I was actually really impressed, even though the figures are kind of fuzzy, I was impressed knowing, you know, we've tried to put ours into ESEM mode before as well. Um, and look at dead bugs and <laughs> it's hard to get, but this is really cool how you can see those nucleation points and then the interlocking crystals within those shells. And so I guess as it just keeps as these bivalves just get bigger they just keep adding and adding to it it just it seems to me and i mean i know this it just seems to me the gastropod makes a lot more sense it's hard for me to imagine that bivalve like a big bivalve shell ever being a tiny little bivalve shell that just keeps getting added on to because i wondered if there would be some sort of thing where like they would have like a way to dissolve parts of the shell right and so I don't know if in if you did anything. I did find a like a video about a shell being repaired. So like a, a gastropod repa- repairing part of its shell. And so it was interesting to me to read about this like acidic gel that they use to actually secrete it. And I wonder if that ever goes into, you know, did they mess up and fix it? Does stuff like that ever happen while they're making these shells? I'm sure. That, I mean, there's got to be imperfections, right? Yeah, I mean, I would think so too, but I wonder if it's something that they can fix too by manipulating the chemistry of that of those fluids they're secreting. Maybe very well, yeah. Mm, I should write a, I should write something about this. If only I knew more chemistry. <laughs> <laughs> you should write a letter of I'm interested in. <laughs> exactly. Hey, that's what our formal. Formal VPR office said to do, right? Hey, you got an idea? We'll hook you up with somebody. So I can't wait to write that email. <laughs> you need to write a request for proposals proposal. Exactly. Does clam spit fix broken shells? <laughs> Can you send this out? <laughs> oh, your YouTube count just went up saying a title like that. Yes. <laughs> can't wait. Um, yeah. So that's why I thought it was interesting. And while this answered some questions. I absolutely, I'm going to keep looking (laughs) into this. So don't be surprised if we have a more in-depth chemistry show about shells in the future. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Well, with that, it's time to move on to a different kind of chemistry in everybody's (laughs) favorite segment of the show. Fun Paper Friday. Yay. So I also picked this one because while we went on vacation, I haven't, you know, we haven't been in public a lot, and I thought this was an appropriate thing to think about (laughs) for now. I will say I am very disappointed in the rhyming. Um, look, some little kid came up with this. (laughs) So, all right. Uh, BMJ Christmas 2019. 
Ironic. Wash your right? hands, Brother John. <laughs> Thampy at all. And when you say at all, there are two other people. One is an associate professor, Eves Longton. And then the second of these three authors is a pre-K student. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> Leca Villanueva. <laughs> Um, I thought this was really funny because it was Christmas 2019, so a little pre, uh, pre-COVID. Foreshadowing. Uh-huh, <laughs> exactly. But also, I've never been taught this, and this is also what I thought was interesting, because right now I know daycares are having a resurgence of other infectious diseases, and hand-washing is a huge deal. But I've only ever been taught to wash, like, to sing a song, like sing Happy Birthday, or there were signs all over OU that said sing one round of Boomer Sooner um, while you're washing your hands. Because everybody knows the words. Most people do, John. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> I was there for five years. I don't know. I'm sorry. <laughs> but you're a scientist, so you should know how to wash your hands. <laughs> True. Um, but I've never done this. Have you ever done this? Have you ever been exposed to the actual effective hand hygiene i i have seen this before in okay. like some medical training okay mm-hmm. uh i'm not gonna say i remembered it though this was like yeah oh yeah i i did i did see this at one point in my life mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um so the steps are <laughs> you should scrub your palms which everybody normally does. Get between the fingers, which we yeah, sort uh-huh. of kind of do most of the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, wash the back of your hands. That one's the hard one for kids, I think. Yeah. Get the tips of your fingers, which for me <laughs> always involves a brush. Oh. To get under mm-hmm. the fingernails. Yeah. Uh, yep. Okay. So then uh, It says, well, in their thing, it's scrub them upside down. Right. More fingertips. Yeah. Um, and then around the, the thumb and the webbing of the thumb. <laughs> the thumb attack. <laughs> so instead of, are you sleeping? Are you sleeping? Brother John. Brother John. Morning bells are ringing. Morning bells are ringing. Ding, ding, dong. It's Shannon. Oh, no. Don't make me do it. <laughs> I'm not going to sing it. I would just read it. <laughs> okay. So, well, well, that's it, right? The scrub your palms. Oh, wait. Hold on. Let me get this. Okay. So the scrub your palms between the fingers. Is this what they're singing? Yes. Yes. Because uh, it doesn't go really well. Brother John, Brother John, is wash the back, wash the back. Morning bells are ringing. Twirl the tips around. Scrub them upside down. And then ding dong, ding dong is thumb attack. Thumb attack. <laughs> It says sung with gusto. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the video is funny. <laughs> yeah. And some of it is actually really good. I mean, the whole message is good. But yeah. the, the the grossly mismatched number of syllables in the first two lines oh, just God, kills me. Oh, God, I know. So, like, I sat here before watching the video for quite some time. And this is why I just asked again. Because I was like, it just, just doesn't match. Like, scrub your... No, it doesn't match. But they did say that they were very... <laughs> They wanted a kid to help them do this because they wanted it to be remembered. And I thought that was really cool. So instead of like coming to their kid with this thing and saying, hey, is this cool? They got the kid like, this is what we're doing. Help us rhyme this out. And I thought that was, um, I thought that was very funny. And they said after testing it on several other school age children, 
they removed it because, you know, kids will belt anything out whether it rhymes or not. Right, exactly. And with gusto. So um, this is <laughs> this was the the sentence. The lyrics were developed in collaboration with children of preschool and primary school age, ensuring that our intended audience could easily understand them and leverage the rhythmic and rhyme patterns of this popular song for it. So I thought that was a cool, actually, little twist on here is that... Like we so often do, instead of just offering this prescription, we said, hey, constituents, help us do this thing. Right. And um, even though it's not necessarily catchy, I've already used it twice today. So yep, there you go. It's working. <laughs> exactly. Thanks. <laughs> yeah. So if you've got your own version of this or would like to perform a version for us, <laughs> we would, of course, love to hear that and air it with gusto. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and don't forget also, episode 300 is coming up, and I only have a few of you Aww. that have written in with a little audio comment to introduce yourselves. We want to know who you are, and others want to know who you are. Uh, so just pull out your phone and record a little 10 to 30 second audio clip introducing yourself, and we would love to include that in episode 300. Shannon, how can they get a hold of us? Uh, send us those show at don'tpanicgeocast.com. We're on Twitter at don'tpanicgeo. John is at geo underscore Lehman. I am at Shannon Doolin. Um, you could come into our Slack chat room. We're on the Don't Panic channel of the Software Underground. As always, thank you to our Patreon supporters for keeping us going. Hopefully we'll get someone on to talk about seawater chemistry <laughs> with your help. Patreon.com slash don'tpanicgeo. And until next week, remember... Don't panic. It's not an exact science. Any opinions, findings, conclusions, or recommendations expressed are solely ours and do not necessarily reflect the views of our employers or funding agencies.